Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. Something that Coach Hall always, you know, he, he has it plastered everywhere around our, you know, the Davidson program. He had it on shirts. He had it on everything. And if you, if you know anything about the program, um, it, it was that hard-nosed, very physical guys. That was kind of the philosophy behind the program. But um, it, kind of his stain was never settle, break somebody. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. My guest today is John Reeder, associate head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers. This is John's second time on the show. And we go back in time and talk about John's high school career at the great Davidson, Michigan, where he was teammates with Brett Metcalf and Paul Donahoe, all three of which were NCAA champions. Fan of the week goes to Matthew Ryan. That's Matthew RY3N on the gram. Thank you for tuning in, Matthew. Greatly appreciated. Folks, this episode is brought to you by the Beat the Street Chicago Virtual Gala. So instead of our annual gala, which is a huge fundraiser for us, we're doing a virtual gala on Saturday, June 6th from 8 to 9 p.m. That's Saturday, June 6th from 8 to 9 p.m. It would mean the world to me if you would please register for this event and attend. No donation necessary. It's free to attend. Go to WrestlingChangeMyLife.com and click on the Beat the Streets Chicago Virtual Gala tab on the homepage. You can't miss it. WrestlingChangeMyLife.com. You'll see the link to register. Register. That's all I'm asking. Let's get to the show with the great John Reeder. Second time on the show, man. Welcome back. back. Running it back. I appreciate having me on. Absolutely, man. I'm excited for this one. I want to start with a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I love hearing about people's daily routines, and you are a very motivated guy. What do you? What should day look like for John Reeder during this corona pandemic here? Well, um, that, that was the first thing was finding my routine. You know, I, I've been such a creature of habit uh, daily. Um, so first thing was getting, a, getting my routine. Usually I'm up at 5.30 in the morning. I'm getting a cup of coffee. And then first thing first is my five-mile run. And then I come back, start working on some emails. Good thing is I got my kids here too. And I got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So um, trying to stick to a routine is a little bit difficult. Um, but certainly I'm getting my two workouts in a day. It's just a matter of where I'm squeezing them in. You're still getting the two a day in? Two a day. So it's usually before they're up and uh, on nap time. Wow. What's the second one look like? So it's usually, we, we have a strength and conditioning coach who's sending out kind of, uh, you know, at home full body workouts. Um, it's just trying to get creative in my basement and torture myself a little bit. And for the folks who are listening who don't have a, 
a gym or the resources, give us a couple exercises off the full body workout. Uh, you know, you got, you got your typical burpees, you got your pull-ups, you got, uh, you know, things like that, you know, weighted step-ups, things, just getting creative and making yourself your, you know, making sure you're staying active. Man, and during these times, routine is more important than ever. And it's like a broken record to say that. But first couple of weeks, it was weird. But, you know, now I'm back to the swing of things. And, you know, I don't get the five-mile run. I get a kettlebell in. But have you been doing the five-mile run for, for a long time? Is that your Dude, staple? I've been, doing, I've been doing it every day since we've been on quarantine. And, and actually, a couple of days, I got a little froggy. And I went 12 miles. And uh, I paid for it. I paid for it because I've, I've, never, I've never went that far before. Um, so I paid for it. But it was – you know, the next day I, I was trying to figure out ways to challenge myself. So I have a pretty nice road bike too. So I went and, you know, one day I just rode 56 miles just to, just to do it. So, <laughs> uh, uh it, it, you know, it's just getting creative during this time and, and figuring out how to ways to challenge myself. And, you know, luckily there I'm doing things I really don't do. Usually I'm on the mat for the majority of the time. Right. What about coach Bono? Is he getting those runs in as well? It's great. So I, I'm on phone calls with him six, seven hours a day. And, you know, it's, it's funny to, to hear how he's doing it. He's doing the same thing. Um, you know, he's running, he's, he's putting on his, his, his sweats, sweats and, and getting, getting his runs in. But actually it's a funny story. I just, uh, I was talking to some other people in, in our athletic department and somebody lives closer to him. And, and uh, I got a text message yesterday. She said, this is the greatest sight every day. I see coach Bono running down our street, full sweats, big headphones and it, it, it just makes her day. So it was fun. It was funny to get that text message. I can see him with the all cottons, the sweatshirt tucked into the pants. You know how it yep, is. That's right, man. So you're, you said you're on the phone with him six, seven hours a day and not to give away any trade secrets, but what does a D one program work on in times like this? What are you guys ironing out? It's just getting creative and, and figuring out how to ways to connect to our, to our, uh, to our recruits, to our commits. And then most importantly, our guys, right. Making sure that they're being heard and, um, taken care of and, and then making sure that we're, we're staying in constant contact with our support staff and, you know, from our nutritionists to strength coaches to our, our advisors, it's, it seems like we're constantly on the phone and you, you've got to stay up to it. So mm -hmm. um, recruiting never stops. Um, and then, you know, trying to put together virtual tours and making sure that these guys are able to see the University of Wisconsin, even though they're not here. So, so you're it, still recruiting right now. Oh, hundred percent. It, it doesn't stop. Even though we got an NCAA ban of not being able to, you know, leave campus or have kids on campus till June 1st. Currently um, it doesn't stop. Right. So we, we've gotten creative with our athletic department. They put together virtual tours, what it looks like in Madison, what it looks like to be a student athlete, um, everything that the university has to offer for, for student athletes. So it's been great being able to navigate through these times with these kids. And then obviously the, the zoom calls have been, have been, you know, amazing for us just because it's, it's very easy for us to get in the car, drive as long as it takes to get to a kid's house and be having, you know, an intimate conversation at, at a dinner table. And that's, that's really where we enjoy doing, you know, our, our conversations like that. So not being able to do it, this is the next best thing. Yeah. No, I'm in outside sales for my day job. And obviously there's nothing better than facing the place. Right. You know, we always say it's a combat sport. You got to get in there and see people, but absolutely. This is the best, next best thing. You got to go, got to roll with the punches. What are you hearing in terms of any, and there's a lot of, a lot of rumors out there, but anything in terms of a, like a, a makeup for the national title this year, whether it's beginning of next season or anything at all for the seniors who, who lost that chance this year? No, I, I haven't heard anything, you know, as far as makeup. I think that, you know, I think a lot of folks, especially our, our people here have gotten to the point where, listen, it, it's, it is what it is, man. It's time to move on. It's time to make yep. sure that our student athletes and, you know, our staff and, you know, the community and, and the nation as a whole is healthy, 
right? Yeah. That's, that's the first board, you know, first thing that we've got to make sure is, is uh, happening. So we're over it. We're, we're on to the next thing. And I, I think this is just a great life lesson for those, for those seniors. You know, it's just an opportunity for them to swallow this, let it be a part of their journey. And, you know, it's up to them to make the decision on how they handle it moving forward. Yeah. How you respond to those events is everything. You know, that's all you can do is control how you react to external events because you can't control how they happen to you. you Absolutely. Know? Man. So that's exciting. What is, so June 1st right now is the time when folks are, they're saying you might be able to get back on campus. Yeah. So they're saying June 1st, as far as being able to leave campus to recruit or to have kids on campus. Now, with that being said, our university shut down until August. So we, we, we can't have kids on, we can't be on campus. So obviously things are changing daily, you know, even hourly. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just making sure that we're in constant contact with our administration and, and just having full trust in them and supporting them in which direction they go. And um, that, that's what we're going to do, you know, that whatever they decide and, you know, they're going to put our safety and, and at, at the forefront and, and just making sure that we support them. And we've got great administration and they're first class and, and they're going to do a great job. Yeah. Well, you think about, I just had Iowa football offensive coordinator, Brian Ferentz on the other day, and he was talking about how, like football preseason, that's right around the corner, man. You know, so yeah. those guys are really impacted. And they're yeah. drop shipping kettlebells with like 60 kids like they're yeah. across the country. It is. And it's actually unique, too. We're doing the same thing here. Our, our, our uh, strength and conditioning coach, he's sending kettlebells, plates, bands, dumbbells to our kids just to make sure that they, uh, they're, they're not leaving their houses and putting others in, in danger, and especially themselves. But, um, you know, it, it just shows the magnitude of how important student-athlete welfare and what our student-athletes, how they're taking care of here at Wisconsin. Yeah. So I know the last time we spoke, man, I think it was last summer maybe. It was last summer. So the season obviously hadn't started yet. And this was a big one for you guys. You had um, – Gross was obviously the leader, but you had some really solid guys, Tristan Moran. Um, Talk to me about the season a little bit and what, what your thoughts were going in. Like if this was the week before the Nationals, how were you feeling about things going into it? It was, it was um, you know what, I, I think we had a great tournament team. Um, not necessarily. We did some special things as a team, you know, dual meet wise, but it was difficult, right? We had, um, you know, if you look on paper, we had about five hammers and, you know, guys that, you know, for winning percentage, they, the majority of the time they were going to win, right? So mm-hmm. it was those other five guys that, you know, we depended a lot on them to, to pick up some extra wins, you know, on the way. So dual meet wise, I think we finished 11 and six or some, some, somewhere along there. Um, but from a tournament standpoint, we had guys that could score points and could get deep. And we truly believed that, you know, we were coming home with six all Americans at the NCAA tournament. And we believed that we had enough firepower to, to make a run at it, you know, at a team trophy. Six all Americans would have, would have put you guys darn close i gotta think i absolutely I, I think so too and i think that we had guys we had them uh we had them geared up we had them healthy we were the healthiest we've ever been in in the season and um we were, we were ready to go how and i i just had coach han on from south dakota state <clears throat> obviously where you and coach bono built a program and, and just left there how uh how do you compare and contrast the two environments obviously both are focused on winning but you're in the big 10 now wisconsin's cream of the crop what's the has there been any difference in your daily cadence or how you approach the season? Uh, no, not at all. Just, you know, from a magnitude of the universities, it's a completely different, you know, world um, as far as resources. And, you know, it's just, it's just a completely different, you know, um, environment. But from, from a standpoint of our mentality of how we approach season, it was the same. It was that blue collar, you know, 
that hustle effort and attitude is what we preach at South Dakota State. And it's the same thing we preach here at, at Wisconsin. And um, we believe in our core values and, and making sure that our guys are controlling those, those uh, areas in every aspect of their life, whether it be, you know, no, you know, uh, academically, uh, socially, athletically. And um, so from a mentality standpoint, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. No, it's, it's cool to see what you guys have built and that you're doing it now at the, at the big stage. And obviously the stronger uh, the Big Ten can be, the better. I wanted to go back in time a little bit and ask you about your, uh, your Davidson team. back. At, is it Davidson or Davison? Davison. Davison. Yep. So yep. I had a little uh, conversation going with my, couple of my buddies saying, what high school team has ever had six national champs? Because there's a team from Chicago, Mount Carmel. In oh, yeah. 1993, they had Joe Williams as a senior, TJ Williams as a freshman, and Tony Davis as a freshman. And those wow. three had six national titles, right? And so I go, has any other high school team ever topped that? I don't even think Blair could top that. Uh, maybe that 2000 team, but I don't think they even had that. Because Esposito had one, Mako had two, Perry had two, unless someone else had another one. So, I mean, that's, that's, how, that's how ridiculous that stat is. But you guys were pretty close, right? How many did you guys end up with, your, your high school team? So I, I believe Metcalf had two, Donahoe had one, I had one. So just between those three guys, there was, there was four titles there. Um, but that doesn't speak volumes of, you know, that even come close to, to the amount of talent that we had in that room that not necessarily, you know, developed to that level in college, but we're just, right. we're just hammers and guys that I, I, um, they were a big reason why I, I progressed in high school and guys I, I idolized and men, they were my mentors and, yeah, I, I truly believe that those those were the guys that I had my aha moment. Really, you know, the the classes above me, and just as a young kid being able to come into the Davidson room and sit there and watch how these guys train and just watch the intensity, and it was something that it motivated me. Um, you know, it inspired me, and it, it made me want to be. It wanted it made me want to be like those guys, and then especially watching those guys trans you know transition into the collegiate side of things and have success. I said, listen if I just follow this model, I'm going to, I'm going to have great success. So luckily on top of that, we had two division one, um, you know, former division one athletes that were our, our high school coaches that, you know, they didn't train us. They didn't train us like, uh, you know, uh, just an average high school team. We trained like a division one team. I mean, it was, it was structured, disciplined, intense. Um, so our transition to college was, was pretty seamless in, in that standpoint. And who were some of the guys, <clears throat> cause you make such a great point. I mean, to win a national title is such a ridiculous feat, and it's almost unfair to the other guys to hold it to that standard. Who were some of the other guys when you were like in middle school who you really looked up to, or even when you were in high school who you looked up to? Well, I think it was, you know, you had guys like uh, Metcalf, Chase Metcalf, who was, who was Brent's older brother, who was just a phenomenal athlete in himself. Casey Streeter, you know, my brother was a couple of years older than me. Those were guys that he was hanging around, and, you know, I, I, I attached myself to my brother's hip, so I was always, I wanted to be like my big brother, and the guys that he were hanging, he was hanging around were guys that were having a lot of success, um, you know, at that, at that level. And they were four or five years older than me. So, you know, my eyes were wide open and I wanted to be like those guys. And, and the majority of those guys, 90% of them went on to, to college, whether it be Eastern Michigan, you know, local, mm -hmm. local division one programs within the state, you know, Michigan, Michigan state, all great programs. And um, they went on to do great things. And those were the guys I looked up to. And, you know, and great part about my, my high school coaches, Anytime that any of our guys that were former Davidson guys, they, they put their pictures on our walls and when they're in magazines. So 
every day there was hundreds of pictures on our, our high school wall in our wrestling room of, of our guys, you know, have some success, whether it be Fargo or whether it be, you know, their collegiate career. So I saw that and I was motivated daily, you know, and it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, I was very, very fortunate and grateful for that, for to, to, to go to Davidson. It's crazy how a good culture really started by good coaches most of the time can impact kids' lives forever. I'm doing a documentary on the 2014 Oak Park River Forest team where they had four state champs, Isaiah White, Kamal Bay, that crew. I mean, they were nationally number two. But the coach, Mike Powell, just built a program out of nothing. It kind of reminds me of what, what you're talking about where the practices were at a level that were so high that when they got to college, they could roll right into it. Was your, when you guys were in eighth grade in high school, what was your off season program? Like for some of the kids who may be listening now, wondering kind of how you guys did it. Well, my off season, you know, I had the opportunity to play multiple sports. I, I just wasn't, um, you know, I just wasn't my path. Right. I, I played a little bit of football. I played a little bit of baseball growing up, but my summers, when it got to my eighth grade, eighth grade year, I, I got real serious with wrestling and, you know, I, I, I uh, was fortunate enough to, to have Coach Hall as my middle school PE teacher. So I, I had him from, you know, all through P, you know, um, middle school, all through high school. So I was being mentored daily from him. He was always checking in on me. And my summer schedule was the second the, the, the junior high season was done or whether it was high school, it was right into the freestyle Greco. And it was, it was get as many matches as I possibly could and, and just learn how to win, right? It was mm-hmm. learning how to win and and continue to get better. Um, and my, our coaches, they believe heavily on, on that summer, summer wrestling. And so it was a couple times a week minimum and every weekend you could just wrestle and wrestle and wrestle. And, and it, not only that, in our Davidson room, something that within our, you know, geographic area, we had a lot of different, you know, coaches in our areas, whether it be the DeGane brothers that used to be at Clarkson. Um, those guys went on to wrestle at Michigan. And um, I think one of them wrestled at Citadel. And then we had, you know, Kevin Beasley's dad uh, just, he, he was uh, coaching at Montrose High School. And these guys, they, they brought in the best from around the state. So it, whether it was at Davison or whether it was at Montrose, whether it was at a, any school, I was, tr- I was driving there to get the best partners. Um, yeah. It didn't matter where it was. And I was fortunate enough to have parents that, that made that happen, whether it, you know, they were getting in a car and driving me there or they were um, you know, coordinating who was going to take us there. Would you say your pops was more of a coach or a dad? Um, you know, he was a division one athlete himself. So he, he kind of understood that side of things. He, he played football at Indiana state. And, um, so he understood the, the, uh, the discipline and the commitment it took and the, the level of, of just commitment it, it took from a daily, you know, to get where you needed to be from a wrestling side of, uh, things he, you know, he, he wrestled in high school. He didn't wrestle in college, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he just – I think he was a supporter, right? On, on, at the end of the day, he was a supporter, and I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity he gave to me. And now having kids and looking back on the opportunities he gave me, that's, that's – uh, it's priceless, right? And that's, that's something I hope I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to give to my kids is give them as many opportunities as I can. He was just a selfless parent. Him and my, and my mother, they were selfless parents that, you know, our, our, their children, they came before their own goals, so – um, they always put us in, at the forefront. Well, the reason I asked was I, I was looking at some of the young studs right now, the Spencer Lees, the Dayton Fix, the Yannis, and you're like, all those guys had dads who were like RTC-level coaches. And I'm thinking, is that what you need now to be good? Because I hope not. Because that's kind of – if you don't have that, you're kind of screwed, you know? No. Um, 
But I don't think you need that. But at the my, same time, all those guys have that, you know? Yeah, my dad wasn't an RTC coach. I'll tell you that. He, <laughs> he wasn't an RTC coach. He was a guy, though, that was at our, uh, you know, we'd had to have a youth practice or whatever it may be, a local practice. And, you know, I'd be wrestling with whoever, Johnny over here. And, um, you know, he would, he, would, he would scout out who were the best guys in the room in that practice. And I had two home mats in my basement. We would have a practice literally right after that one he would pick those guys and be like all right we're gonna go have another two-hour practice at my house and he uh, would lead it oh we we did it we did it oh wow and so and that's that's how i grew up and but looking back on it man at the time i thought he was crazy but <laughs> looking back on it now it's just the opportunities he gave me um to grow and to get better at the sport i i, I can't thank him enough was that middle school or high school when that kind of routine would happen that was youth that was all youth, middle school. <laughs> I, it stopped when I got into high school because I had some really great coaches, like I said. But, um, but he, didn't, he, he didn't know any better, right? He, he didn't know how to um, – he got to a point where, you know, he realized he couldn't really teach too much more technique or whatever. And it was just how does he get me around better, better opponents and better, you know, practice partners. So um, very fortunate. What was the regiment like when you were at Davidson with Coach Hall? Was it just the afternoon practice and you guys would go so hard or was there – two a days or what was your personal routine back then? You know, honestly, it's not too far off of what our, our kind of our, you know, blueprint looks like in a, in a collegiate room, you know, obviously the intensity level is a lot different and, and um, you know, your daily routines a lot different, but we were getting up before school started. Our, our classes started at seven 30 in the morning. So we would be in there around six o'clock. We would run and lift before, before classes started. Um, and then we would have, you know, school would get out at two 30 and we would have team practice at three o'clock. So it, it was it was not too far off of what our, our college blueprint looks like, and um, you know we we went we went hard just all the time. I mean, think about how much the intensity levels rate. I mean that'd be hard enough with an average room. But you think about guys like yourself, Metcalf in there. I mean that's 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 as tough as they come, man. It was it was fun. I you know looking back to there were so many times our our high school wrestling room there they had a set of doors, a set of double doors that uh, that led out into the basketball you know, into the gym. Um, and I can't, I can't tell you how many times that there would be brawls and just, you know, hard hand fighting that would lead out those doors into the basketball arena, you know, and people are just looking at you like these guys are, these guys are crazy. You know? So yeah. I mean, you guys come out just soaked in sweat, you know, just cut bloody. Just, Oh my God. And, and, and the wrestling didn't stop. It didn't matter if it was on the basketball gym. It was, um, you know, you went until like, somebody got that takedown. Who was the big rival for Davidson back then, if there was one? Uh, at the time, I, I believe my senior year, it was Rockford. But there was, there was all kinds of teams throughout that, you know, throughout the era. Tempers Bedford used to be really good. Um, Grand Haven, you know, Granville used to be really good. But I think I believe now that Detroit Catholic Central is kind of um, the team to beat in the Division I. Um, they go back and forth with, uh, with Davidson now. And, and there's, a, there's a ton of teams in Davidson now. Or, uh, Michigan that are doing really well and ranked in the country. Yeah, that's a, it's a great state for wrestling. I know, I think the Amin family is connected to Detroit Central Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, was that the time before the national schedule or were you guys wrestling a national schedule back then? You know what? So there's, there's rules within Michigan. I, I believe it was like 300 miles from our, our uh, school doorstep. So we were limited on how far we could go. Obviously, our coaches would have been, they would have been all for it. If we could have went out to the, to the West Coast, East Coast, we would have been there. Um, so from that, having a little bit of a handcuff on, on how far we could go, I believe every year we wrestled St. Ed's and St. Paris Graham, and we went to Midlands or uh, Medina. 
Um, in Ohio, we would go as far as there, but, um, you know, we would have a lot of Illinois teams come to us and, you know, St. Ed's would come to us, but we couldn't go farther than 300 miles. So it, it, it wasn't, you know, we would have been in all those tournaments if we, if we could have, could have. Medina's when Metcalf and Slater wrestled, right? Yeah. Yep. Man. It, felt like, it felt like every tournament, those guys were always, they were always meeting up somehow. That, that's a fun one. That match is online, luckily. And um, that's a fun one to watch. You think about, man, just those, that group of guys back then, it's special to have that. But I, probably more so than the talent levels, the culture. I mean, if you had to distill the philosophy of the Davidson program, obviously something you took with you to Iowa State, something you take with you now, what were some of the core values um, that, you, that seemed true to that program at that time? I, it's something that Coach Hall always, you know, he, he has it plastered everywhere around our, you know, the Davidson program. He had it on shirts. He had it on everything. And if you, if you know anything about the program, um, it, it was that hard-nosed, very physical guys. That was kind of the philosophy behind the program. But um, it, kind of his stain was never settle, break somebody. And that was you took it to you took it literally, right? You took it to the point where <laughs> you were, you know, you were taking them down, letting them, letting them go, taking them down, letting them go, and then you know trying to get to the, to the pin. So um, that was the mentality that we had. So um, I think that was something that helped you know transition into college as well. Never was it never settle break somebody. Never settle break somebody. Dude, those basketball players got it firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> they got a firsthand look. Um, and I did just want to hit on one thing about your college career. So when you got to Iowa State, was Coach Douglas or Coach Sanderson leading the team? So kind of how the, the, my recruiting went. So I got recruited my junior and senior year out of, you know, from, from Iowa State. And Bobby Douglas was the head coach, right? So he had, he had Kale Sanderson as assistant coach. And he had actually Chris Bono as longtime assistant. Um, so I, I had preliminary talks with, with Coach uh, Bono. And, you know, obviously I was, uh, Coach Sanderson was a huge draw for me and, um, I built a really, really close relationship with him and obviously through Coach Douglas as well. So I had a ton of respect for Coach Douglas. My senior year leading to uh, my freshman year in college, by the time I got to Ames, Iowa, that transition had happened. You know, Kale had took over as head coach. Uh, coach Douglas had retired. So when I got there, you know, it, it, it was what, it, you know, it, it, the transition had happened. Um, I had, you know, Coach Douglas, I, I had built a really good relationship with him and, and still to this day have a great relationship with coach Douglas, but, uh, coach, coach Sanderson brought in his staff. Um, and I was very grateful for the opportunity he gave me to, to be a part of his team. And did Bono come back at all during your time there? So Bono was actually, uh, he got the job at Tennessee Chattanooga. Fast forward. Um, he was actually one of the candidates when coach Sanderson went to Penn state, he was one of the, the final two candidates. I think him and Kevin Jackson were the final two candidates for that Iowa state head coaching job. Mm -hmm. Um, so when Coach Jackson got the job, he brought in uh, Coach Bono as his top assistant. And that's kind of where me and Coach Bono built our relationship and kind of really where we cut our teeth as far as, you know, just how close we got. And just the coach, he was, he was amazing for me. And so that was your senior year. You had a different coach, right? So it was my junior year, actually. Junior so year. I, I had three years with Coach Sanderson and his staff, and then I had two years with Coach Jackson. So perfect. Okay, so what I want to get at was, you know, Coach Hall from Davidson seems like typical – Iowa style, just outwork everybody, out tough everybody. Was that different than the Coach Sanderson approach when you were there? No, I think I think it was it was a lot of the same. I think if you watch really? Coach Sanderson compete, I think if you watch Coach Sanderson compete, I don't think it's necessarily that vocal. I think it's uh, it's a different way of expressing it. But if you watch Coach Sanderson and the way he competed, he was breaking guys. 
he was absolutely breaking guys by his technical, you know, the skills that he was, you know, that he had and, and just the way he competed and um, he made it look easy. So from that standpoint, he wasn't the type of guy who was going to, you know, yell down your throat and, and tell you to do this, do that, do this. And, and, and that kind of a motivator, but he was a guy who was, he was just very calm and um, he was, he was great for me because I was the kind of guy who was anxious and I was ready to get on the mat, you know, all the time. So he was, <laughs> he was a great, um, he was a great resource for me and a different perspective. And, um, and then fast forward to coach Jackson, kind of, it was a completely different staff with that as well. And, um, you know, talk about, you know, just a, a very fundamentally sound guy and coach Jackson and bringing in a guy like coach, coach Bono, who couldn't be more similar to the way I live my life and just the way we think of things and how intense we are and, um, so it naturally we, we, we attracted to each other. And, um, you know, I always say this, the, the old saying, like people say, nobody cares what you know until they know how much you care. And for, for me, I'm a big time guy with relationships and Bono yeah. was that guy. So, um, when he came in, it was a breath of fresh air for me. Um, and, you know, and luckily we were close in, in weight. So we got a chance to train with each other as well. I wouldn't say you're that close to weight, but Coach Bono must be wrestling up here. <laughs> you know, so I, I actually came into to college as a 57-pounder. So okay. I, I, I was at 157. He, you know, if, if you believe it or not, if you look at some old photos and stuff of Coach Bono, he was thick. Thick. That dude, he was thick. thick. And, oh, my uh, God. When he wore know, that I, red, that red uh, USA single he wore in the Midlands finals when he beat TJ Williams one year. The announcers, I was like in middle school and I watched this. They kept calling him the fire plug. And to this day, whenever I see him in that red cigarette, I'm like, that guy is a fire plug because he is jacked. <laughs> he is. He is. He, he absolutely is. And um, so I got a chance to really, you know, compete with him and, um, and learn from him. So he was my guy that it didn't matter what, what time of the day it was. We were going to make sure we were getting our work in. And, um, you know, he motivated me. Yeah, he told me, you know, when I talked to him that literally there's no – like he doesn't set his time – he doesn't set a time to go to bed, like 10 o'clock. I got to go to bed at 10. He's like, I'll go to bed when all my guys are done being helped. If that's one in the morning, it's one in the morning. You know, it's like there is no end of the day for me. And it seems like that was distilled to you at Iowa State. Oh, absolutely. It doesn't matter when it, when it, when it is. It's just you go until it's done, right? That's kind of our philosophy here in our coaching staff. And um, there's obviously going to be tasks that we need to do daily. It's just you do whatever it takes to get it done. And, and however long it takes, you, you go until it's done. Let, let me ask you this, because I love that mentality, and I, and I think I have that in a way about this podcast. How do you find, or how do you have a conversation with your spouse where it's like, hey, I'm not going to be around all the time in the season? How, not, not even how do you have the conversation, but what, what are your thoughts on that? Because obviously during the season, you're gone a lot, probably even more in the offseason. Does that ever come up, or did it ever come up for you and Coach Bono? You know, talking about it the, from the spouse standpoint, um, I, I'm very lucky and, and I can speak for both Coach Bono and I, um, just being as close as we are to his family. Um, we are very lucky to have the wives that we do. Um, I think all Division One coaches and every coach out there is very, very lucky. Um, you know, it, it takes a certain sacrifice to do what we do. And um, you, we're not always going to be home on, you know, especially our hours are going to be a little bit different daily. No two days are the same. And um, it takes a great deal of, of just sacrifice and understanding that this is important. And, and luckily for us, it's important for our wives as well and our families. And this is, this is very, it's intertwined in, in who we are as, in, as our families. And we're lucky to have them, to, you know, two wives that understand that. It's just, just such a big piece of it that I don't, I never thought about when I was younger. And I'm just starting to think about it now. And I'm just like, man, what a 
what a big sacrifice, you know, like for, for everyone involved. And it's cool that, you know, if they're intertwined with it, that makes sense. But you don't think about that a lot, you know, and it's a big piece of it. Absolutely. And right now, you know, I, I talked to Coach Bono about this too. It's just, I feel like we're stealing time right now, right? With all this quarantine time, you know, I'm usually out the door at 430, right? I'm opening up the arena at five and, and making sure that the guys are, you know, when they walk into the arena, the music's on, the, the, yeah, I'm setting the stage for those guys when they, when they arrive, right? And, um, and usually I'm not home until seven. So I'm leaving the house at 430 before my family's up. And my, my kids, my kids are young, so they're usually going to bed around 630 right now. So <clears throat> there's many nights where I don't see them. Um, not that that's an excuse, but or, you know, or whatever. It's just, that's just the way it is. And, um, and luckily we got a wife, wives that understand that. And right now with this whole quarantine thing, it's been, it's been nice to be able to see, uh, my kids, you know, all day and they're hanging on me and, you know, we're playing hide and go seek in the house and all, all, all <laughs> kinds of, all kinds of fun stuff and just getting creative, letting, letting these guys have fun. So when you're during the season though, um, you're up that early though, out the door, huh? every day and that doesn't change even if we're out of season I'm out the door at that time it's just like I said I'm a creature of habit I like I like sticking to my routine and um you know I get up early I get to the office and the first thing first I get in the sauna and and then get my workout in and usually you know in the off season I'm getting my workouts in before those guys just uh you know so I'm there for them when they're there yeah what is the and it will wind down here but what is the what is the off season like for your guys? If it's normal, like if we're back rolling, are you on the mat? Like, let's say it's mid April. Are you on the mat five days a week and working out five days a week? What is it? What's it look like for you guys? Yeah. So as soon as season's done, we, we, we transition right into our regional training center and, and we have a fully funded regional training center. Ben Askren is our, our head coach of our regional training center. So we're very fortunate to have uh, coach Askren involved in our program. And um, it's completely transformed our, our regional training center. But from a scheduling standpoint, as soon as we transfer into our regional training center, it's, um, you know, we do a lot of technical work, right? We slow things down. It's not necessarily the grind that it is during the season uh, because we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that, you know, very shortly, right? It feels like the summer will fly by and we'll be right back into preseason. And then you're back into that weekly big 10 grind. Um, so we slow things down from that standpoint, um, you know, in a typical year, we're getting ready for certain competitions. So we will gear it up and, and, and ramp it up for, for certain competitions. But right now we slow it down. We, we, we get in the weight room. We start packing on that size, that strength, and, and that, that foundation that's going to lead us into the season. Um, and we make sure these guys are nutritionally on point and um, it's going to lead them into that preseason. So we're on the mat, I would say, probably three times a week. Um, no more than that. Um, you know, obviously these guys are in there as much as they want, but, um, yeah. but it, it's a lot of fundamental work. It's a lot of really working on, you know, the fundamentals, defending your legs and, and just working on areas that we, we, uh, we think we need to work on and things that we, we, we made notes on during the season. And what about like mindset training or visualization? Do you guys have, do you believe in that? And do you have a, a philosophy around that for your guys? Absolutely. We actually have uh, a lot of uh, what they call here at Wisconsin, they call them mindfulness coaches. Mm. And um, we have a, a great resource in, in, within our department. Chad McGahee um, does a fantastic job. He's a part of our support staff. He meets with our guys. And what we found is um, you either like it or you don't, right? There's going to be guys that, um, that don't like it and guys that, you know, you know, some guys that like that love it. And I was the type of guy that loved it in my career. And I believed it was a big part of my success was being able to visualize and being there before it ever happened. Um, but 
certainly we make, we make sure that those guys have it available to them. Um, and it's not required. It's not mandatory, but it it is there as a resource. That's cool that, that I didn't even know they had that. I mean, you've always heard the term sports psychologist, but that can be a little intimidating. You know, it's like, why would I go to a psychologist? Nothing wrong, but it's not even that it's the, everyone says wrestling's 90% mental at the D one level. And you spend 90% of your time with the physical training. Why not spend some time with the mental training? Absolutely. I think mental is, it it is so important. And and looking back on my own career, um, I wish I would have known these things. I wish I would have been smarter in my, in my own approach to things uh, from an early, early uh, age. You know, I didn't really learn these things until I was a senior in college, right? I didn't really get exposed to visualization and and being able to that mental talk. It was just usually just grind it through, you know, and that was kind of the way I thought of things. And um, uh, I, I didn't get exposed to that until, uh, you know, my senior year with coach Kevin Jackson, he was a big time believer in that when he, he, he trained his, uh, his senior level athletes at the Olympic training center. So he brought those philosophies to me and I, I really, um, absorbed those. And, and I, I, I try to teach those to our guys and then we get to Wisconsin and they have, you know, five or six full, full-time employees that that's all they do with, with all sports is, is mindfulness coaching. And in, in, you know, different areas that, that people struggle with within, within athletics. So it's been a, it's been a great resource for our guys and um, they love it. And can you imagine going through your whole career and not getting that until your senior year? That's pretty wild. You know, it was pretty taboo back then. It, it was, you know, and, and when you, when you think back on it, Oh, talking to yourself before a match, you know, what, what is that? Right. And um, luckily I had a, a lot of good resources, you know, that positive talk around me, but it was, how did I do that? And how did I suppress those demons before I walked on the mat in my own head, right. Mm-hmm. In, the, in your own thoughts. And when you're sleeping at night before a tournament, what are you, when you, what are you telling yourself? How are you visualizing your attacks? Um, I'm a big time believer in it. Um, I, I, I remember my senior year multiple times after practices, I would, you know, I would just lay on my back, put my feet up on the, on the uh, wall and, and do seven minute clips of where I was visualizing myself attacking my opponents, getting my hand raised, what I, what it looked like, what it felt like, what, you know, every, every uh, feeling that I could, you know, visualize, I was, I was there, right. I had seen myself get my hand raised in the NCAA tournament millions of times before it ever happened. And was it a specific opponent or like a faceless opponent? It was just a faceless opponent. I was always just wrestling, you know, a, a faceless opponent. It was just, over and over and over, uh, getting to my attacks, getting to the positions I wanted to be in, um, and visualizing success, I think is important, right? I, I wasn't visualizing, you know, the struggle. It was the, it was just the over and over repetition of getting my hand raised, you know, score, scoring on a guy, getting the, getting the fall, um, and over and over. And I think that really, it, it strengthened my mind, you know? So when I got to those stressful situations, you know, I could reflect and be like, listen, I've done this a million times in my head. Let's just go do it. And then last thing for you, because I, I hear the kids waking up, which is no problem at all, man. Every interview we do now, there's kids in the background. I think it's fine by me. But think about Saturday before the Nationals. Are you, like your senior year, are you visualizing then or are you trying to have what they call empty mind at that point? Like when you're starting to get in the tunnel, you're warming up, like that kind of, that kind of scene. Where, where are you at then? Yeah, I think there's a fine line as far as how much you really want to you know, stress your mind out of the, the whole visualization. I, I kept it really, really simple and really relaxed. I think that was important for me uh, being a high, you know, kind of a high strung guy, you know, intense guy. I think it the more relaxed I was, the better, but not too relaxed, if, if that makes sense. Um, I think the, the Saturday of, of the tournament was just waking up, getting my way in, 
I, w- I woke up on weight. I weighed in. I watched the first round of uh, a couple of my teammates. Went back, took a nap, woke up, you know, got a workout in, and then it was it was starting to gear it up for for that uh, for that finals match. So I tried to stay away from it as as much as I possibly could that that morning and and just kind of be free. And dude, when you won, one of the great all time pictures in wrestling history, man, with the with the tape and the blood, it's awesome. Last thing we'll sign off with: if a kid is interested in Wisconsin and they're wondering. Am I the right fit? Hit us with a couple things you look for in high school kids if they want to be a part of the Badger program. We'll sign off with that. Well, I think uh, first and foremost, I tell all the kids I do around the country and kids I talk to all the time, is just don't let your academics dictate your future. I think that's very important. And, and um, at, at the University of Wisconsin, we want great, great uh, student athletes, right? Obviously, this is one heck of an academic institution. So academics are very, very important to us here. Um, so from an academic standpoint, don't let your – don't let your academics, you know, dictate your future, right? Don't, don't think that you can just turn it on your senior year in, in, in high school and, and expect to, to be able to uh, be admitted into a program like this. So it's going to make it difficult on you if you, if, you, if you slack off. Be committed just like you are in the wrestling room and, and, um, and make sure you're taking care of what you need to. And, um, but on top of that, we want good, we want good people, right? It, it, I, you could be the best wrestler in the country and be uh, – I don't want to say a terrible person, but just not the right fit for our program um, from, from a social standpoint. Um, we want good kids that are going to represent this university on a, on a, on a, a really, really high level um, and, and people that are going to make this community proud and, and be, you know, really productive citizens. Yeah, it's, it's a culture fit. It's also, I know you've talked about this before, but, you know, really loving the process because you're a guy who gets up. I don't think you ever wake up and you don't want to work out. You're, you're amazing like that, man. Maybe you have those, those bad days, but you seem to push through more than anyone and, and certainly loving the process and loving the sport of wrestling. It's got to be on there as well. I'm sure that's a given. Absolutely. I, I you know, I, I say it all the time. I, you know, when I go to bed at night, I can't wait to wake up. Right. Cause I get to do it all over again. <laughs> and and I, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to get to do what I do as, as a, as a profession. And, um, it's a lot of fun. Love it. Coach Reader, it's always an honor to talk to you, sir. It's inspiring. I hope you have a great day. Go Badgers, baby. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Take care. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.